Hello and welcome to the Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me are Tori. Hello, Internet. Craig. Hello, Internets. And Dave. Hi there. <laughs> uh, so this is episode 16, covering the end of Elantris, the final nine chapters, and the epilogue. Um, we normally start with good thing, so... Dave, why don't you start us off? So, uh, recently got into this cartoon. It's been around for a while. Uh, Craig and Mike kind of pointed me in the direction of it. It is been around for a while on Cartoon Network. I don't think it's still running, but it's a little It's still running. Called, it's called Steven Universe. Oh my gosh! <laughs> You're gonna... What? <laughs> uh, I've been talking about Steven Universe nonstop for the last three days, so this is no surprise to these guys. Uh, but it's really cool. It's really funny. Uh, it's about this kid whose uh, mom is like this this outer space magic crystal person, and she knows these other outer space magic crystal people. And uh, his mother, uh, Rose Quartz, gives up her physical form to give birth to him she falls in love with the with the human man so uh so anyway he's has to uh live with these other three crystal gems and learn to use his powers it's hilarious like it's a lot of stuff that's just kind of random like he runs into a lion at one point and the lion is kind of his companion he's like usually not there but sometimes he's there and he's important, and sometimes he's just there sitting in the background for no reason. Uh, for the record, Lion is Betty's favorite character. Lion, I, okay. Oh, I'm not and she also wanted me to ask you what you thought of Tiger Millionaire. Tiger Millionaire, the episode, or just the yeah. persona? Sure. So uh, there's an episode of Steven Universe where uh, one of the Crystal Gems, Amethyst, uh, turns out to be a secret underground pro wrestler, and Steven kind of stumbles upon it, and she needs a partner for tag team, and he creates this uh, persona called Tiger Millionaire, which is, <laughs> he's got like two masks he can pick from, one's just like a little tiger nose, and one's like this big ferocious tiger mask, so of course he picks the silly one. <laughs> and his persona is just like he like has a slick back hair and he carries around a briefcase full of money that he doesn't share with anybody and he is just mean and like stomps his fans drinks on the floor and everything. He's um, a heel. They have to save wrestling from uh from the other crystal gems who like come in to put a stop to it but then realize that uh, it's something that Amethyst and Steven love doing, so they kinda of play along as wrestling villains. <laughs> Pretty funny. Uh, but so, uh, I was, I was thinking about this the other week. I kind of have like a, kind of have a little crush on one of the characters. Her name's Pearl. And Craig was saying how his favorite character is Garnet. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Cause Craig likes the, Craig likes the, uh, like the strong, like tough girl persona, like Samus Aran. Whereas <laughs> I like the more, I like the more dainty, strong in an elegant sort of way. Characters, that is like, Pearl, uh, like Princess Zelda, like Pearl. Zero Suit Samus Aran. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, Zero Suit is still bad. So, uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's really a great show. I'm loving it right now. I think that it's gonna have to kind of evolve. It, it's not gonna be able to have the same style of humor and not and refuse to progress the world building <laughs> it, humorously, but. 
it's if it's going to hold my attention for more than a couple seasons, then it's going to probably have to get a little bit more serious. But so far, I'm I'm loving it though. Just uh, look to see I, I will say, season one is slow because of the sheer number of episodes. No, no, your season one is not the real season one. Right, the I've, real season I've one. Watching YouTube season one, which is yeah, it's split it up. Twenty six episodes, yeah, twenty six. Season 40. one itself, I think it's double that thing. Uh, I don't know. You'll see when I show you episodes. Um, but uh, it's it starts out so just stick with it, and you will be pleasantly surprised. Yay. All right, Tori. I, I I definitely rank Steven Universe up there with like Avatar: The Last Airbender. Different though, because Avatar: The Last Airbender is more serious. But I mean, Steven Universe has goofy things, but it also has some serious things too. All right, Craig. It's Tori's turn now. <laughs> it's okay. Um. So Walmart has Wonder Woman pajamas in big girl sizes, like adult sizes. So. They're amazing. I am wearing them right now. Um, Picks, Dave says. Uh, no, it's just, <laughs> it's like some yoga pants and a t-shirt. And <laughs> you did say Picks. Yeah. And <laughs> so, um, yeah, like I, I wear a size 10, 12 and they fit me perfectly. And uh, so if you are a grown up person who likes Wonder Woman pajamas, go get some. Like, are we talking, like, classic Wonder Woman from the comics, or are we talking, like... Yeah. Okay, that's cool. But they're not footy pajamas. It's not, like, a giant onesie with a hoodie on it. I would think it's too warm to wear something like that right and, now. And flippers so that you're a giant manatee, so that you can play Super Metroid dressed up as a giant manatee. It's not that. Yeah, no. It's just yoga pants and a t-shirt. Okay. And I am I am mix matching right now because I've got my Batgirl t shirt on with my Wonder Woman yoga pants and uh yeah. It's pretty you're, you're the Justice League all by yourself. Um all right. Craig. So yesterday I had my board game night with Ooh, friends. Uh and we played Terraforming Mars. It's a game I've owned for a couple of years now. Uh, actually Ooh. a year because I bought it at the last uh Gen Con last year. I've and played that then I, with you. What's that? I've played that with you. I like that game. Yeah, I haven't yeah, well, heard so of that game. What the last play, time, right? <laughs> the, yeah. Well, I found out when Dave and I played it, uh, we were completely wrong. And that was actually the last time I played that game, though. And like, I've been wanting to play it, and I've been trying to get my friends that I hung out with yesterday to play it. It's just we never, it just never lined up because we had too many people or we we're playing something else. And then last time I brought it, we played it, and I'm like, you know what? I remember how fun this game is because you're working together. So it's a competitive game. You're a corporation who is tasked with terraforming Mars, but you're also working together with the other people at the table to terraform Mars. So you're both planting trees and filling up oceans and throwing comets at the planet to increase the oxygen level or increase the water level and things like that. So you sort of work together you're also competitive because whoever terraforms the best wins type thing, but it's a, it's a lot of fun. It has, it, I mean, it's, it's typically a Euro game. Uh, it has some interaction. It's not incredibly interactive, but like I said, since you're working together on the game board, which is repre- is a Mars representation, there is that interaction that you don't get out of typical Euro games. So, 
Um, it's pretty fun. I, I, I forgot how fun it is because it's been Didn't a while. I blow up all of your plants with comets? Probably. And guess what they did yesterday? <laughs> yes. I was the space hippies who was in the plants. The only reason I chose that corporation was because all of my cards were plant-based. They're like, it increases my plants or it interacts, makes animals and stuff like that. I'm like, I didn't want to go with the space hippies, but I'm like, my cards say I should go with the space hippies. And of course, the first two rounds, my plants get nuked. Like, I could not plant a single forest. I was ready to go like two forests in within the first two rounds, and I couldn't. I, I wish maybe I was the other corporation. I lost, but I only lost by like three points. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. It happens. Anyway, it's fun. Okay. Uh, so this week, I'm bringing another movie. Uh, this is my favorite Wachowski siblings movie. Would anyone like to take a guess? The Matrix Revolution. That's about as wrong as you can be. <laughs> uh, no, it's Speed Racer. Oh, yeah, I saw that once. It's, uh, I don't make any claims that it is the best. Uh, it is, it is dumb. It is a dumb movie, and it celebrates its dumbness. Like, it, it very much embraces how dumb it is. Uh, it's also super duper bright. Like, very colorful, like, 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 super duper colorful. Like, a Saturday morning cartoon wouldn't dare to be this colorful. Like something based on an anime, even. <laughs> Except, like, cranked up to 11. Um, but it's, it's just, it's really good. It's fun. Uh, everyone making the movie knew exactly what kind of movie they were making, which helps a lot for for the the goofier fare. Um, and it's it's just it's fun. There's a great scene where John Goodman um, beats up a ninja and calls him a nunja. It's just it's good. It's fun. It's my favorite Wachowski like a, film. Like a nun with nunchucks? No, like not a ninja. Uh, all right, so let's let's go ahead and get started on our chapters. Dave, yeah, a lot to talk about what today. What happened? Okay, so uh, this week we are covering the entirety of part three of Elantris by Brandon Sanderson, the first written of the books in the Cosmere series. So uh, when we last left off, our heroes uh, they had uh, Eondel well, e- had just uh, invaded. Telrai Eye's palace, and he and Telrai Eye had a little fight, and they killed each other. Uh, so, in the next chapter, beginning of part three, we have Rayodin, who has just uh, popped out of Elantris, and joined his sort of wife, sort of fiance. It's kind of unclear what the rules are, because he was sort of dead, sort of not. Um... <laughs> But uh, anyway, he's joining her on the top of her Uncle Kai Ein's uh, fortress-like house on the roof there. And they're looking off in the distance. And through a, a Sion spyglass, they're able to see outside of the palace. They're laying out all the bodies from the bloody palace battle. And they can see Eondel's corpse there. And they're like... And they can see Talrai's corpse uh through the spyglass, and they're like, oh, man, uh, Erelon is, again, without a king. So Raiden's like, well, let's get me coronated right away. So he has uh, Serini talk to the uh, the Shukoreth Fabio guy, and 
so that uh, he can be coronated like like that day. <laughs> so uh, they're getting coronated tonight, about to get married tomorrow to seal, uh, you know, just so that there are any questions about the legality of their current marriage. They're like, let's just make it official anyway. So Rayodin gets coronated, and he's got this, uh, he's got his, like, uh, Aeon door disguise mask on so that he doesn't look like an Elantrian. So he's going there, he's getting coronated, and we see off in the corner here, uh, Diloph kind of whispering, and, uh, Diloph actually is able to dispel the Aeon door magic and reveal Rayodin as the Elantrian that he is. But Serini gives a stirring speech. She says, this is the Prince Raiden that you've known and loved for many years. He's back. He might look weird, but he's still the same Raiden that you know and love. Make him your king. And she takes it upon herself to put the crown on his head, which I thought was kind of dumb. That <laughs> Serini was I actually the one like that, the that part. Of, I mean, I like that it's, she it's a little cliche. But... Him, but, for her, but for her to be the one to put the crown on his head, I think was dumb. Well, everyone's in shock, and she's like, I'm making this happen. And I like <laughs> when a character is active like that, like actually doing something. So. All right. Well, I only, like, she doesn't really have any kind of authority to make him king. No. That's why it's kind of dumb. Um, even if she put the crown on the head and, like, the Shu Korath guy or some of the dukes were like, yeah, all right. But I guess, I don't know. Anyway. This is a small detail. Right, actually, it turns out in Aralene Law, all you have to do is chant king, king, king in a room full of people, and you're king. <laughs> that's that's what it is. Oh, okay. That's I how mean, Aedon got the crown. What? That's basically how Telrai got crowned, too. <laughs> hey, that guy's rich. King, king. So, uh, and then Hraithin, you know, this kind of sees what's going on, realizes, oh, crap, and Elantrian is king now, so jigs up. So he he kind of follows Diloph out of the palace, and he sees Diloph walking down a side street instead of back to the chapel, and he tries to follow Diloph. He loses track of him, but then he sees uh, the Dakor, which they kind of mentioned before. It's the most Dakor infamous... Monastery. Yeah, the Dakor Monastery. Um, is the most infamous of the three monasteries in Shudareth. So that kind of leaves off there. And then we go back to uh, Rayadin, who was uh, sitting on... He, he was back at uh, Duke Royale's house and in his uh, chambers where he was the, the Duladel, the fake Duladel guy. He still had his room there in Royale's house. So he's staying there. And, oh crap, all these, like, shirtless demons show up with all these twisted bones. They're not, these are the Dakor, they're not, like, actually, uh, demons, but they are, have been enhanced by Dakor magics. Uh, so, they have enhanced strength and, uh, warped and stronger bone structure. And each one also apparently has some kind of specialty. And uh, that's involved with kind of like the runes that their bones are shaped into. So similar to Aeon Door, but the, like the the symbols give them strength, but not the same kind of symbols. But okay, so he's uh, he gets captured by Dila, and we see that it's, 
Diloff that is uh I think he doesn't recognize Diloff. He doesn't know who Diloff is, but he anyway, he gets captured by these dudes and then Hraithan sees that it's Diloff. He's like, Diloff, what the heck are you doing? And Diloff's like, Don't talk back to me, I'm a graduate. And the uh, graduate is basically like uh the next step up from the rank that's uh, that Hraithan is uh, next step up from Gaiorn. Well, so, technically, it's to the side, not really up. He well, heads a monastery. Tech, it's yeah, he heads a monastery. It's up, but generally not interacting with Gaiorns. So, I think they do actually say that uh, that the graduates are have a higher rank than Gaiorn. They are, uh, even they though do. even though they're usually in their own monasteries and not interacting with Gaiorns at all. So. You know, uh, I don't know if it's now or later that gets into this, but Hraithan kind of goes into like a little backstory of how he started off in a Dakor monastery and he, he couldn't take it either because of moral reasons, because he saw that people were being sacrificed or just because he wasn't physically strong enough to go through the bone transformations. Uh, and in the meantime, Serene is taking a trip to Elantris to drop off some some weapons for them because she sees that uh, some chaos is about to ensue. So she wants to arm the people of Elantris. And she gets gets in a little tiff with the Dracor on her way back, with Dracor. And right outside of her uncle Kai Ayn's mansion, she's uh, kind of running running from the carriage that she was riding in and then Uncle Kaiyan comes out with this huge axe and starts beating the crap out of these, you know, big muscly bony dudes. And then they all make it. Well, I think the carriage driver actually is ripped, but everybody else <laughs> makes it back to, uh, to Uncle Kaiyan's house. And she's like, why do you have that big axe? And he's like, uh, you know, I was the pirate Gliok that tried to kill your dad. Um, so yeah, there's a little bit of backstory on Eventio and Kayan, how Kayan was actually the older brother, but he was out gallivanting, so Eventio took the throne, but it's the, kind of... The Dread Pirate Drioke. Yeah, the <laughs> Dread Pirate Drioke, not Gliok. Gliok is... Uh, Gliok. Gliok is the, th- is the three-headed dragon from Legend of Zelda. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah, Aquamentis is the other one. Okay, um, so anyway... Kind of interesting backstory that doesn't really have any bearing on the plot overall, basically, is what it is. Well, so that's that's part of the the world building that Sanderson does, where even yeah. even side characters have a history. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it's interesting. It just it doesn't really play, other than the fact that this is why Kaiyan has a giant axe. It doesn't really play into our story at hand here, but it's still interesting. Uh, so. Um, right, quick so quick we... note on yeah. Aeons. Kai, I believe, meant justice, and Rio meant revenge. Rio's the Driok is the the name for based on Rio. Same as the Rio, which is the uh, the bad transformation mm-hmm. after the Aeon door went crazy. I believe it's punishment, though. Not is it revenge? But it's okay. kind of the same thing. Same same concept. Yeah, I think it is punishment. It might be listed differently in different versions of the book. I I think we have the same version. I think I was just wrong. You can edit that out. That's fine. I'm not gonna. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Anything to keep you from having to edit more, I guess. Well, and I don't mind being wrong. It's fine. 
Uh, okay. Uh, all right. So uh, now we we leave the the triad chapter structure in favor of a montage, which I think works really well because a lot of stuff's going on in two or three different fronts of the story at any given point, and anything, any one part of it by itself would be kind of moving too fast for you to really take in and feel the impact of it. But when you put this kind of thing into a montage, you really feel the pressure of it a little bit more, especially with uh, the, one of the things is that the, I don't actually remember how Raiden got out of, uh, out of Delos possession. If, uh, he got stabbed. Yeah, yeah, they just stabbed him. Oh, yeah. Uh, they just stabbed him and kind of left him for dead, and he kind of goes crazy. He goes, hell it on him. So, welcome to this, the Sanderson Avalanche TM. <laughs> and might as well be trademarked. So, in one part of the montage, uh, Galadon is keeping his promise to Raiden to take him to the Pool of Oblivion. He and K-Rata are about to drop off Raiden in the Pool of Oblivion and then jump in themselves. Since basically... All but giving up, uh, and Galadon has this kind of like inner struggle where he has this, this tiny speck of hope left, and he kind of like blames Raiden for the fact that he even has any hope left in him, which is kind of funny. Uh, he's like, Ah, oh, Dolokin, so why you give me hope? Um, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> it takes him like, Perfect. it would take, it would, the part where they're taking Raid into the Pool of Oblivion is drawn out real, like really far along in the montage, and I think it works great since you have these other action scenes going on at the same time. Um, because you get to, you know, you're like, oh, what's, what's happening to Raiden? Did they get to the pool yet? No. All right, Lucal's fighting off. Lucal and Shudan are getting ready to fight off the Dakor, but... What's happening with Raiden? Uh, but I'm going to do it in a non-montage way and just kind of deal with each situation one at a time. So, Galadin and Kreta get uh, Raiden to the pool, and right before they're about to put him in, Raiden breaks free of his uh, hoedness and you know becomes lucid and starts talking to him, and then he trips and falls into the pool. <laughs> so, whoops so uh he's gone and now everyone's left to fend for themselves no i'm just kidding so uh apparently the, the pool of oblivion won't uh obliviate you unless you're willing to be obliv so Raiden, you know still able to keep his uh lucidity in the pool climbs out and he's like Guys, follow me! And he just kind of like runs away, and they're like, "All right, we better follow him." Uh, so... Make it sound like it's like from a sitcom. <laughs> Crazy shenanigans. I mean, that little sequence kind of is. Yeah. Like there's. There's no time to explain. <laughs> there's there's some physical comedy happening at a completely inappropriate time. <laughs> he trips into the pool. Yeah. It's just to it's just to draw it out a little bit longer to keep it more intense. I appreciated it. Uh, there's more to it than that. Go on. Alright, so, he finds out the secret of the Aeon door, why nobody's magic is working quite right, and, uh, he gets to, gets to K.E., 
And so remember how the aeons weren't working before because the earthquake caused the chasm. So all of the uh, all of the aeons now had to include this little chasm mark in order for them to work properly. Well, this includes the biggest, most important aeon of them all, and that is the actual layout of the four cities and Elantris, which is representing Aeon Rayo for spirit, uh, similar to uh, Rayodin's name. Uh, so Rayodin has to find the spot where the cha- chasm line goes and you know, grabs a stick and draws a line in the dirt where the chasm mark should be you know, between the border of KE and Elantris. And then everything gets really bright, and he's his uh, shayod, and everybody else's finally finishes up, and he's like uh, of the old Elantrians with the silver skin and the white hair immediately, and totally like, and he he still has all of, you know all of his studies are benefiting him too now that he can actually use the stuff. And I'm a little, I was a little disappointed in myself for not quite getting this. I sort of got it, but not quite. For the I, record, you were super close. Like, I yeah. think you said it jokingly, because I think you no. pointed out the cities and Elantris being like that shape of, of the Aeon. Like, right. you were I like, and, and we talked about it in spoilers, <laughs> how close you got. I wasn't joking i just said oh that's interesting i wonder if it'll be important and then i just kind of forgot about it and there were two reasons that i kind of missed it one was i forgot that the center of the aeons was the lake i in my mind the center of the aeons was elantris and right I was like, okay, well, if the chasm's in the right spot relative to Elantris, then they wouldn't have to draw it in. The other thing was that I I had it kind of backwards. I thought that the Aeon was based on the city structure and not the other way around. So I was close, but didn't quite guess what was going on there. But I thought that was really cool. At first, it didn't make sense to me because I was thinking of Elantris as the center of the Aeon. So... I thought maybe I misread it and he had to like reconnect the line that goes like the road. But then when I, I, then I flipped back to the beginning of the book and looked at the map and saw where the chasm was. And I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. This does make sense. So that was really cool. Uh, meanwhile, okay. They got this, you know, right before that was happening, they had this pile of the uh, bodies getting ready to ignite them. Got him all covered with oil, and uh, Shudin starts doing this little dance, and it's like a magic dance that helps him take out a couple of guys with his eyes closed. Yeah, he's kind of like a Moogle. It's like can do like the magic dance. I don't think um, it's a Moogle dance. <laughs> it's like flailing around and like, and then boom. No, that's when he messes up the dance. Yeah, that's when you trip in a cute way. Uh, yeah. But anyway, he does a magic dance, <laughs> and Luko like finds a, a stick or something, or like. The like, problem is, you say wood. magic dance, and I think labyrinth. That's where <laughs> my mind went. Magic. <laughs> oh, I guess this, this is a song. Anyway, so yep. uh, that's happening. They managed to do a little bit of damage, but it's far too little. Oh, and all the uh, all the women come in with their fencing and immediately get bodied. Uh, <laughs> 
I mean, they've only been practicing for a couple yeah. months. But it was like very brave of them for them to step up. Uh, but they're up against basically demons. <laughs> so they are basically demons that have thickened bone structures and basically impervious to that core monastery. Basically yeah. demons. <laughs> basically immune to you know slashing attacks and you know pierce like take half damage from piercing attacks unless they they're like skeletons. Wait, skeletons take half damage from piercing and slashing. Yeah. yeah anyway, that's fair. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. unless unless you have like very precision strikes and kind of like can hit them between the bones or a big I, I think... giant axe. I think smashing yeah. their bones does a lot more damage because it basically messes with their magic. Oh, that's a good point, too. Uh, okay, so Hraithan and Diloth capture Serini and head off to Teod to, uh, quote, negotiate with King Eventio. And he's like, I have your daughter. I'm coming over. D- no, Diloth's like the bad guy in charge now, obviously. Diloth's like, I'm coming over. Stand aside, come in with a peaceful surrender, and I won't kill your daughter. <laughs> For some reason, he's like, all right. <laughs> Even though Serini's like, don't listen to him, he's a big fat liar. Uh, they're communicating through Sion, obviously. And, and then they have this mass teleportation spell where one of the Shudareth uh, priests has to, has to sacrifice himself. I, don't know if his body is completely destroyed or if he just dies in order to teleport the the whole... I guess not the whole, because they still leave some people behind to deal with Elantris. Uh, yeah, I, think, but, I think his body's actually consumed. A, a bunch of Dakor uh, teleport over to Teod. And so they get there, and Diloth has a knife in Serini's back, and he's just about getting ready to kill her, and then finally, Grayson <laughs> punches him in the face and breaks his nose. And mm. uh, I've been kind of waiting for this. I I wish it didn't have to come to this for Grayson to see his mistakes, but uh, at least he finally comes around. I mean, it, it's a hard thing to accept and realize that maybe what they're doing is not correct, and in spirit of, you know their religion and their their deity. Yeah. And I maybe would have liked I this is a believable action from Hraithan. I think that he's kind of been leading toward this, but I would have liked to see a little bit more of his inner struggle, like leading up to this point. Like it's there, but it's more implied than than we really yeah. like to see. Uh so anyway, he punches Dilaf in the face, Dilaf tries to stab him in the chest. Uh, takes off his armor and he's like, "Whoa! I thought your armor was just for show." <laughs> I love that he's been wearing real armor. Like, yeah, I, I love thing that he does. And I love Hraithan's line. He's like, "Dilaf, you should know by now. Nothing I do is just for show." Um. So anyway, in the confusion of uh, Hraithan turning on Dilaf, Serini, and uh, Hraithan. Escape from the crowds, and King Aventio and his navy start uh, getting out of there. And then, uh, you know, 
Corethan and Serini are running around in Tio trying to try not to get caught. Um, and then meanwhile, back in Arrowan, uh, we have uh, Raiden back on, I think he's back, he's either on the launch, whatever, he's in a high up place and he's like, he says to Aishi, he says, yeah, all right, point me in the direction of K and uh, he... Nope. Not K in the direction of Teod. There you go. <laughs> Wait, like, Kay, I'm, I'm right, right next to it. Point me to it. Action <laughs> of Teod. And yeah, he does that. And he's about to cast this, like, this teleport spell. I mean, he just has to stipulate a direction and a distance. And Galadon's like, Dolokan, it's dumb. You're going to kill yourself. You need. You need precise measurements, and um, oh, what's the guy's name? Adian. Adian. How'd you know I was talking about him? So it was kind of <laughs> funny. I it was kind of interesting with this character because he, when you first read about him, he comes off as autistic, and not in but like seriously, not in not in like a joking way, like actually autistic. Yeah, yeah, and. And then you find out, oh, well, he was taken by the Riyadh, and they were kind of covering that up. And you're like, oh, that was it. But then it turns out it was both. So he was, um, like, so he always, he remembers, like, the small details of every footstep he's taken. He remembers all of the numbers that he's ever had to count. So he can tell you exactly how many footsteps it is from whatever point that we're from. I think they're on top of uh, Kayine's mansion at this point. I don't remember. Or they might be on, but anyway, he can tell you the exact uh, number of footsteps. So they kind of measure his foot, his gait, and they're like, "All right, it's this many footsteps over there." And then, uh, so Raiden teleports over to Teod, Teod, for the rescue. And you know, he gets there, and he sees. They see. Uh, I think. Did he meet up with Serini and Hraithan for oh no, Hraithan actually was uh kind of was like stabbed in the stabbed in the stomach or back. He got stabbed in the crowd by uh another Shudareth priest that he kind of dismissed earlier on in the book. He kinda of comes back and it's his job. He was the head artist of uh the, the K monastery. That he right, like, hey, right. you got to go back because you don't know what you're doing, and you need some study so, and prayer. Right, and then he ends up being an initiate in the Assassins Monastery Guild, and he needs his first mission, I guess, is to find Hraithan and kill him. So he stabs him in the middle of the crowd, and I think Raiden and meets up with Serini, and they see. Uh, King of Ventio run down a quarter and then Diloph chasing after him. And then, so Raiden and Serini, uh, go after them to save Ventio, but Diloph was just, uh, faking him out. He was hiding in the shadows and jumps him when they come out. And the two of them start fighting Diloph and it's hopeless. Diloph, uh, actually, his specialty in the attack for magics is to dispel Aeon Dor. So, uh, Raiden's kind of useless, and up from the shadows 
Kraythin comes and he starts beating on Dilaf and punching him in the face again. Dilaf tries to stab him and it tries to like, but then Kraythin can like blocks him with his arm and like he had started the Dakor transformation, so he had really strong bones in his arms. So he's able to overtake Dilaf and take him out. Uh, you know, they basically kill each other, and then you know everybody's. You know, sad from all the war and stuff, but then uh, they go back and Serene and and uh, what's his face Ray didn't get married. Did I miss any important details between? I think that was <laughs> sad from all the war and stuff. <laughs> I oh, mean, yeah, well, okay. Also, his, I, there's a the other Galadon, Galadon yeah. and the other Elantrians, You know, get word that. Raiden arrives safely in Teo, so they come in to help them fight the Dakor that are there. And I sort of like the the wedding of Serene and, and Raiden, because she's like, no, you're not going, like, I'm watching you, this is happening, <laughs> yeah. I'm tired of being, you know, engaged and not married, and just, uh, it's just... Yeah. And then we end the, the main part of the book with uh, the with uh, with the wedding, and you know, Raiden's like, Serene, it's a wedding, everything you thought it would be. And she's like, Well, I'm really looking more forward to the wedding night. A wink, and then <laughs> fade out before the epilogue. Got um, so anyway, epilogue is a really touching kind of like a funeral service for all of the fallen and uh. All of the fallen heroes of Elantris and Aralon. And the greatest monument goes to the best character in the book, Raithen. Because he's the best character in the book. Now something really neat is that in Raithen's first... I think it's his first chapter where he mentions that the people will see me as a savior. And like basically the very last lines of Elantris are that he is our savior. It was a neat oh, little man. loop that was finalized. Kraythan didn't realize Inclusio. how Kraythan he'd be seen as a savior. Inclusio. Okay. Hang on. Let me give you the exact quotes here. <laughs> None of Aerilon's people greeted their savior when he arrived. First sentence from Kraythan's first chapter. And last sentence of the epilogue, he was our savior. Oh. So, nicely done. So, what'd you think? I liked uh, it. Okay. <laughs> um, that was really awesome. I'm looking forward to reading more of the works from Brandon Sanderson. I, I guess I don't see the flaws in it as much as Mike seems to hate this book. <laughs> no, I don't think he hates um, it, but... I don't, I don't see the flaws in it as much, partly because it's my first read-through and partly because I haven't read Sanderson's other works, uh, but... The quality improves. It's his first published novel. You're going to see differences, but even still, like, I just rewrite Atlantis, and I'm like, there's there's good things in there. Like, it's still Sanderson. Yeah, I like how everything is kind of thought out ahead of time. It doesn't look like uh, Sanderson is kind of like, oh, well, let me add in this detail for this character. So, like, so something... You there should really know anything that just kind of like popped up out of nowhere, and I I didn't think it fit in. Right, so it really comes to mind. So something you should know about his writing style is that he's an outliner. So he 
has like all these general outlines of the story and then you know he gets certain specific things over time like he gets more and more specific with his outline so uh some authors have a different approach where they're like basically writing things one at a time and just seeing how the characters react and just you know seeing where the story takes them mm-hmm. sanderson is very much and he has an idea he knows the general outline of the story and he'll craft the specifics as needed some tweaks here and there but overall more, like more importantly, too. I, I start with an outline and then kind of, I start with like a skeleton and then I put in the flesh. Yeah. And, you know, after I have the skeleton in place. More importantly for Sanderson is that he knows the mechanics of how everything works. And that's mm. deeply, deeply important as we get into more complicated things. Oh, speaking of which, one of the things that I forgot to mention is that uh, during the wedding, Raiden is kind of uh, reflecting on all the different uses of magic or different ways to access the door, as they call it in this universe. And, you know, he he recognizes that the bone structure of the Dakor is similar to the Aeons, and also, like, Shudin's dance is kind of is another way to access the door. So he sees, like, there are different, you know, different ways to access the magic in the world. Yeah, basically, they're all symbols and drawing of some type. Yeah. One of the things that I'm kind of curious about, though, too, is that at least the way Aeon Door works is that you have to be close to Elantris, basically, you know, because they, I guess because they have the giant Aeon in the city structure. That That is something uh, that we can discuss with you at length in two weeks. In two weeks? In two weeks. Ah. So, so I think we're going to talk about the over, like your questions and talk about the metaphysics of the book in a future episode. For now, we're just, what are your thoughts of the story? Uh, the ending, primarily. Is, the twist. Is, the my thought is, twist. why is, um, why, how come the Dakor magic works when they're so far away from, uh, yeah. yeah you'll have to wait. Fjordell. Hopefully you'll remember these questions. Because Mike mm. doesn't want to talk about it right now. No, yeah, we, that's the thing I don't understand either. That's, we have that's an entire episode planned in two weeks <laughs> to go over all of this. Uh, okay. But, I mean, I have ideas. I don't know 100%. I mean, it's going to be some theory crafting. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to that one. Okay. Um. So, yeah, what did you think about Diloph actually being the big bad... It wasn't that much of a surprise. I kind of like I, I went through a few iterations of what I thought Diloph might end up being, and if he turned out to be like actually working to undermine Hraithan because he was a Shu Korath sympathizer, or I thought I I don't know if I mentioned this. <clears throat> I might have mentioned it in an earlier episode where maybe he was like had a higher rank than he was saying. I kind of settled on. You, know, you before, did at one point. You had a we, good guess, and then you went away from it like, you know, I think he's actually a Korath sympathizer. Oh, no. like, nope. <laughs> and then I kind of got to the idea, and this was what I kind of settled on before reading forward, is that he was actually a, a demon or a Srakis that was just trying to create as much uh, death and destruction as possible. So that's what I, that's what I kind of settled on, but it turns out, though, he's just racist against Elantrians because he brought his, against his better judgment and against really his religion, brought his wife to 
Elantris to be healed. And basically, it's just like the worst timing in history. It was right as the Rio happened. and No, it wasn't. They, uh, uh, was it? Was she taken by the Rio? Or no, she wasn't in the land. No, they basically screwed up the the healing. Oh, AI. they just screwed up. Yeah, oh, you yeah. you actually get that, that story from two separate sources. I remember the story seemed familiar when uh, when Diloph was telling the story. It was like, yeah. didn't this happen before to somebody else? I didn't. Uh, I think it, it Galadon, is the same story. Yeah, okay. I think Galadon told it earlier in the book. Um, so oh, okay. one thing that is kind of interesting to me is one of one of Sanderson's sort of guidelines is that every character is the hero of their own story. However, mm-hmm. in the um what's the commentary thing called? Tori, help me out here. The annotations? Annotations, thank you. In the annotations, he straight up calls Diloph an evil man. So Everyone's the hero of their own story, except this one dickbag. <laughs> I well, mean, he still hero. has his motivations. He still sees him himself as following Rin. I mean, it was Rin who dictated that this is what they should do, that they should completely destroy Aralon and, and eventually Teod. Like, his plan was never to have Horathan be successful. What? Wern, yes. Okay. Yeah, Rin. Sure. Wern. I say things wrong, Wern. just... <laughs> the point is, he put this plan in motion anyway, and he wanted Hraithan just to be a distraction so that Diloph and his monastery can be successful. Like, it was never planned that Hraithan would be successful. So, right. in Diloph's perspective, he's just following what his, uh, what, what Rain said, his, his leader. Well, also, or, he's, he hates, um, he also hates Elantris because of what they did to his wife and right. didn't even let her die. Well, okay, here's the other, another thing that I, that kind of irritated me is that <laughs> Diloph's like, ah, oh, Hraithan, if you go back and read your letter, you'll see that, yeah, that Wern never actually wanted you to convert anybody and that he was just, you were just here to tell people that they were about to die. But that's shenanigans. And let me bring up chapter three. Uh-oh, uh, here in we the go. letter, where it says, uh, okay, blah, 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 rending and tearing the unworthy life from those who heed not my words, implying that there are those who will heed the words and not be rent, only three months will pass before the destruction of all who oppose my empire. So, that's bullcrap. Like, the letter doesn't really... Well, so, interpretation it could be read that Aralon... Aralon has always never heeded that his word. Like the fact that he he wasn't saying you can convert them and therefore I won't destroy them. He was saying they haven't listened, they're gonna be destroyed. And yeah, three months is greater than two months, so if Rin's plan was successful, word. it would have been destroyed <laughs> in three months. He didn't say when the start was. Um, okay, I kind of want to stop discussion on that because I have something I want to get into with that um, in two weeks. Oh my gosh, Mike. What? There's a thing. Alright. But Mike's we, the should, boss. we should probably keep track of all of these talking points. We should, yes. So, but three I do talk about month uh, timeline. So, um. Continue talking. I'm typing stuff. Go on, Craig. I don't. I don't know. Well, I was going to ask you questions. So, Horathan's your favorite. Did, did he redeem himself in 
your eyes. Not as well as I thought you could have. I, I, I thought I, I was hoping that he would, you know, come to his realization through introspection more than being forced into it. I think it's more the shortened time frame. Like he didn't have time to think about what was happening. It was sort of a shock. Yes, but we and he, he I, did think about it. He did compare what happened in the Duel of the Del Republic when he was there the first time and. And sort of realizing this is not unity. I think oh. that maybe we could have gotten a little bit more time with him. And and uh, this also goes for his, his feelings towards Serene, how he was kind of starting to get a crush on her. I mean, I, I thought that that was also believable, but it should have been given more time. Yeah. I mean, I think one of my biggest problems with the book is the three month timeline. Not not that it took. Th- it's, it's the fact that it seemed like it was a lot shorter. But maybe that was because of what Raiden was going through. And if Raiden was so strong with the door, um, he could not live that long. So, so Sanderson's like, we, we need a short time frame because otherwise Raiden won't be able to act or, and, and the way they did the reveal of the door and released it the first time, that sort of thing with it blowing up part of the library. Um, it's, I think. He was I juggling issues. It so Raiden had, had to, to be put a sh- in an extra dot because of the crater he made in the library. <laughs> <laughs> so Raiden had a short time frame, whereas Harithan should have had a longer. Serene and Harithan should have had a longer time. And this is just sort of what we got. It, it was short, and I think that's one of the issues with the book is that there were some rushed things because of it. Like the the pacing is mostly slow, except near the end where it's crammed in. I would Very be Dickens-esque. curious. Sorry, go ahead. You said Dickens-esque. Ah. Or Dickensian I, is the word, I'm sorry. I would be curious to see um, how this book would turn out if Brandon were to rewrite it today. Hmm. Like, given how yeah. how much better he's gotten in the... When was this published? This is like 20 years, isn't it, at this point? Um, it's like late... I thought it was... 2005. Early 2000. Okay, yeah, so 15... Less than 15 years. So 13 years of improving as an author. Like, what would... What would new Elantris look like? So Mm. to put things in perspective, we have essentially had a Cosmere book every year. Roughly. Roughly. Because we get occasionally years with, like, multiple entries. It just ends up becoming one book per year. On average, yeah. If we count the giant short story anthem. And we should. We should. It will be something we read in the future. Um, which, on the topic of that, Dave, mm-hmm. um, there are sections before uh, each of these short stories that sort of talk about the world and its place in the, co- in the Cosmere. Mm-hmm. Don't read those, please. Aww. Well, um, he, we're not re- re- we're not reading those short stories right now, anyway, except for Hope of Elantris. Right. Most of them take a, a bit to get to, which um, I think you can read online, can't you? I already bought it. Oh, okay. Um, but the the sort of um, intro sections, those didn't like we didn't have those until um, Arcanum Unbounded came out. Like those are new to Arcanum Unbounded. So all of that is information that you shouldn't have yet. 
Gotcha. So don't read it yet, but definitely read it in the future when you're ready. Right. Because it's it's good stuff. Um. So, anything else? Anyone else? I'd kind of like this um, one to be a little on the shorter end. I don't feel like we need to kick Dave out and do a spoiler thing for this one. Really? Because I felt like we could do a lot without Dave. Or with Dave. Well, a lot of it I want to save for the Elantris overview. I I can tell. Um, Yeah. yeah, uh, I guess, like, any other thoughts with the character arcs of Raiden, Serene, since we we haven't talked too much about their growth, so any other thoughts, Dave, about them? Uh, do you I'm like really where they sure. went? They don't, do you feel like it could have been stronger? I don't think they don't really change that much. At least maybe I I missed it, but you know, Raiden was this wonderful leader, and he's studious. Okay, so then he does that. I guess. <laughs> like, Raiden really... has the big character arc in the book. He is he is the one that has the, the most of the book. I mean, he's he's essentially this is his book, really. Hraithen is the character of Elantris. Yeah, I mean, like I think that they're fine characters. I just I didn't really, and none of the events really seem to have changed them that much. It's like maybe if Serini had been more superficial, but then she learned to fall in love with Lord Spirit despite his imperfections, maybe that would have been good. I guess. I guess the relationship between Serene and Raiden was well developed, like because you know they start off, they start off you know kind of skyping and they like each other, but they don't <laughs> really, but they're really getting together for the political reasons. Shouldn't it be ashing, skyping, what? Yeah, ashing FaceTime. Uh, so there's actually four separate relationships between Serene and Raiden. Yes. Okay, so there's the pre they met when they were just Skyping. Correct. There is her with uh, Spirit. Her with Lord Spirit, um, leader of the gangs of Elantris. Then again, with Lord Spirit, leader of New Elantris, because she has very different views of who they are as people between those two events. Right. Um, and, and then we have Kalu. The yeah, Kalu. Uh, and then we loop back around to her knowing that it's actually Rayodin, so we get back to that first relationship. Well, I think the important part, the important one of those is her relationship with Lord Spirit, uh, leader of New Elantris, because... I agree. You know, that's that's the one that Rayodin, that is actually Rayodin as himself, right? So she kind Mostly, of... he still didn't tell who he was to Serene, though. He was gonna. Okay, yes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he didn't want Serene to fall in love with the title of Prince Raiden or to be with Raiden as an obligation to their alliance. He wanted Serene to learn who he was and fall in love with who he was. So that's really the important part of the way their relationship developed. So that was good. Oh. As far as them individually, I didn't really see that much of a change uh one character. one quick thing here at the end uh as soon as um Raiden fixes um elantris and puts in the chasm line we get the original title drop 
which was the spirit of Elantris. Ah. Uh. That was that was the the original title that got shortened at the publisher's um, bidding. Brandon still wanted it to be called the Spirit of Elantris. He thought it was a better title. Uh, might be too big of a clue. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe. But I don't it was, think that was the publisher's motivation. But <laughs> I mean, was... if you look with Spirit, and then oh look, Rayo means Spirit. I mean, he uses the name anyway, so you're gonna know that Spirit. I mean, I guess you could pick it up on it, but then, I don't know, that's part of the fun. If if you can deduce that it is the Aeon and it needs a chasm line, all the all the better. So uh, I, I guess one more thing is, like, did you want to discuss anything about the religion? Um, Shu Dareth and Shu Korath, or, like, any, any thoughts on that? Like, I, I thought it was neat. I mean, they were, they were, there was a difference between, what, unity and, and love or something? That was it's, like the two It's all unity, creatures. but it was You know what's funny is I actually just listened to the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast where Mike talks about the religions and how they're all based on uh Kesig. Yes. Which yeah. is based on unity. Uh and then I kind of it kind of jogged my memory on him like right as Hraithan was you know going back to the roots of his religion. But I, I don't know. I think we kind of covered the religions enough. It wasn't nearly anything too new that popped up that uh, I wanted to talk about. Okay. Guess we get to wait two weeks. Next week will be Hope of Elantris, so we'll talk about that. And then we'll have the huge meta episode where Dave gets to ask his questions and we might answer them. Yeah. Hope of Elantris is probably going to be a fairly short one. It's not super beefy. Um. So, Dave in a previous episode, actually kind of nailed the religion thing, which is for for the original religion being about unity to immediately splinter off into two separate um, religious factions. Sort of, they did not learn that lesson. You didn't say that. I mean, I didn't say that. You said that. You and Craig said that in the episode you just edited. And then you brought it up without having heard it before. Oh, did I? <laughs> yeah, and and I think made the point better than we did at the time. Oh, I can't wait for that episode to come out. Yeah, it was a good one. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's go ahead and call it here. All right, hope you had fun, Dave. Yay! See right. you next month. Yay! Goodbye, everybody. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at @CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.